Welcome to The Quest. My name is Alan Mulhern. In the last episode, I introduced a list of changes in consciousness that have been generated by the emergence of the most powerful force in the economic history of humanity, capitalism. Today, I will explain this list in more detail. But first, I wish to tell you of my personal interest in this area. From an early age, I was acutely aware of national differences in character. I happened to be born in England from parents who had emigrated from Ireland after the Second World War, seeking employment and economic opportunity in England. In a short time, my parents did very well, but soon, when I was three, returned to the west of Ireland to supposedly inherit the family farm. This did not go well, and so we came back again to England when I was five years old and had to start again. I have a distinct memory when I was around six of watching the men and women in my street in England walking each morning to the factories and returning in the evening. There was something so regimented and closed about them. They were very content to have their well-paid jobs and their secure houses, but their lives and characters seemed so dull compared to the people I had known in the west of Ireland, who had a freedom about them, who were not constrained by time, who rejoiced in witty conversation, strange but intriguing phrasing of sentences, fantastical stories, unusual gestures, who sought their entertainment in each other's company and in social gatherings, quite unlike anything I imagined to take place in England. The image of the men in working-class England going to factories and clocking on and off every day, taking their two-week planned break in the summer in an English seaside resort, their lives dominated by this routine, burnt deep into my consciousness. Somehow, I knew that the factory shaped and trained them. Much later in my life, I realised that the West of Ireland I had known as a young boy was pre-modern. This was a term I had come across visiting the Museum of the West of Ireland, which classified the division of modern and pre-modern period in the West as around 1955. So I had known it as it was in pre-modern times, when people were largely self-sufficient on the land. How extraordinary. And yes, I remembered that my father built his own house on that land, that I fetched water from the well, that our lamps were oil lamps, that at least part of our food was grown on our own land, and the sheep and cows had provided our meat, milk, that straw had been used as roofing on the outhouses. At one time they had been used on the main houses. That the eggs we ate came from our own hens. And I remember once when we ran out of eggs and my father asked me to go to the local shop. There was only one right beside the church in the local village. And it was a small village at that. And it was also the post office. And I can remember going into the shop and asking for half a dozen eggs. And the shop owner, Michael, speaking to me very softly as he wrapped each egg in brown paper. He had no bag to give me. He just gave me the six eggs wrapped in brown paper. And I can remember as he wrapped each one with care, no hurry, how I became mesmerised and fascinated by this process and had my first conscious trance experience. 
I had entered into a timeless state. I subsequently came to embody a dual identity within myself. Although born in England, when I returned to it with my parents at the age of five, I had an Irish accent and was treated as Irish in an English working class area. I grew up therefore with two realities inside of me, pre-modern Ireland and modern England, two different types of mentality, ways of behaving, belief systems, attitudes to life, even different experiences of time. I eventually knew that these differences were very deep and they shaped consciousness and that they arose from economic and social formations. This was my personal experience of what later I realised was social psychology and had been the subject of many anthropologists and sociologists' focus of study. And beyond that, I later realised also that what was left behind in the pre-modern period was an archetypal world in which humanity had been embedded for millennia. And just as my parents sought to escape their poverty by finding work in the new world of expanding capitalism in another country, so the world has left behind its archetypal and mythical roots as it has embarked on the titanic economic expansion of the contemporary modern era. The list I'm going to expand today is the most extensive that I know. It is derived from a wide variety of sources, only some of which I reference explicitly, such as Pollyani, Weber, Durkheim, Jung and Freud. But many others, especially of the postmodern tradition, Giddens and Baudrillard, for example, have very much influenced my thinking on this subject and are in the background of this exploratory list. In addition, I have added my own points. I don't for a moment think this list is exhaustive. Perhaps it is exhausting. But I ask you to bear with it, for it leads us to one of the most important debates of our time. How our consciousness is changing in the age we live. So let us begin. The removal from nature. All technologies, social structures and economic systems separate mankind from nature. Capitalism, however, has done this more radically than previous formations. To choose one example, the forces of urbanisation, with the mass of the labour force working in factories or increasingly in offices, with only a few percent of the labour force working in agriculture, has now become the norm for advanced capitalist countries. The rest of the world follows the trend. Capitalism has brought modernisation at a revolutionary pace and no country can resist its enormous temptations. Humans become increasingly artificial and nature is a thing to be dominated, used or, in the case of most of the world's wildlife, eliminated. Many people receive their information about nature from documentaries. Human cultural evolution is an accelerating removal from the natural world. A material view of the world. Capitalism is a supremely materialist system. The combination of science and wealth convinces those in advanced economies that a material and scientific view of the world is correct. The superstitions of the past are rapidly abandoned. 
the knowledge of evolution, medicine and science leads to a conviction that all previous systems of thought belong in the Dark Ages. Capitalism has managed to take advantage of the advances of the Enlightenment while disposing of religious consciousness, even the Protestantism that facilitated its development in the West. Advances in physics and astronomy from Copernicus onwards in the 15th century through Kepler, Galileo and Newton formed the basis for a vast paradigm shift and turned inside out the geocentric explanation of our planetary system and now put the Sun as the centre and the Earth as merely one circling planet among others. Changes in philosophy, Descartes for example, increasingly stressed a materialist, mathematical and mechanical view of the world and the human body, while advances in engineering, physics and chemistry made the Industrial Revolution possible and set in chain a series of titanic developments that are still changing the face of the planet today. The theory of evolution alone has produced a vast change in consciousness since mankind, no longer created by God, has evolved out of this earth and directly from animals. These developments have produced an enormous paradox. The materialist worldview has given to humans vast power, yet at the same time has relativized and marginalized us, since we are no longer the divinely ordained by a creator, but are one animal among others, and our time is limited in the endless spaces that we now know exist in the cosmos. The increasingly rational and economic viewpoint. Capitalism was made possible by changes in religious consciousness which became less Catholic and more Protestant. This new consciousness from the beginning, even in Calvinist and Puritan format, was more rational and inclined to the economic view. The workplace became dominated by technology and science which emphasised the importance of reason and calculation. We are thus increasingly removed from the world of nature, instincts and emotions and subject to the mindset required by current and profitable technologies. Competition forces the pressure. We must not only serve the machine, we must think like it. In addition, our societies are dominated by the evolving technologies which transform our landscape, our relationship to nature and to other humans. Even marriage, family relationships, the training of children and the formation of consciousness of the infant are affected at a profound level by the forces of the economic system. Next, the abandonment of a religious outlook. While certain types of religious outlook, such as Protestantism, favour capitalism, the prevailing temperament of the system, being allied to modern science, is anti-spiritual and anti-religious. This becomes more pronounced as the Enlightenment project proceeds. However, it leaves mankind empty or disenchanted, to use Max Weber's expression. Carl Jung characterised the contemporary condition as Modern Man in Search of a Soul, the title of one of his books. Since capitalism destroys all previous religions, it empties the psyche of prior archetypal conceptions. 
Paradoxically, this clearing of the ground of past superstitions and exhausted mythologies sets the scene for the potential emergence in the 21st century of a new spiritual consciousness which may reawaken as the materialist project of the Enlightenment reaches its crisis. More individualistic consciousness. Capitalism breaks down the extended family system, the natural container for identity formation for millennia. The nuclear family system has become prevalent in advanced capitalist economies since the extended family is no longer an economically viable structure. Capitalism requires immense flexibility and demands compliance to its evolving requirements and technologies, even with the nature of the family structure that is required. Capitalism produces more individualism but less individuation. The market system does not encourage more evolved individuals, but rather that they subordinate their personal needs to business. It demands psychological and collective conformity to market values. In capitalism, people live and work in vast masses. Disassociation, disenchantment, separateness becomes the norm. Modern man is, in this sense, individualised or atomized in the sense of being more separated from the extended family or the collective, its traditions and his ancestors, and he is collectivised in his mentality, attitudes and beliefs. The intense individualism of the system was prefigured in the emerging Protestantism of the 16th and 17th centuries, with its stress on the conscience of individuals and direct personal relationship to God. A guilt-ridden, work-obsessed, individualised, that is separated off, worker is more suited to the capitalist system. A salvatory materialism, that is materialism with a salvation project, of the entrepreneur was also an ideal psychology for early capitalism. Durkheim, the famous sociologist, despite his emphasis on the social stressed the role of individualism in modern society, suggesting that the individual had become sacred. This modern form of the collective consciousness he called the cult of the individual. Next, an economic view of societal relationships. As population expands and the division of labour increases, the binding forces of societies is less that of religion, class, clan, family systems national identity, or the old system of beliefs, but increasingly one based on economic relationships. The old system of collective consciousness, a term used by Durkheim, of religion, beliefs and culture, is replaced by a new type of, suppose, solidarity, where people are bound together economically by the division of labour of the modern economy. Next, a legalistic view of relationships. Civilization and law are developed together. If one breaks down, so does the other. Adam Smith summarised it thus, quote, If justice is removed, the immense fabric of human society must in a moment crumble into atoms. Unquote. Capitalism is saturated in law. 
previous social structures, of course, also had law, but as explained by Durkheim, they had also considerable influence from authority, charisma, tradition and religion. Under capitalism, it is legal relations upon which the nexus of society is based, especially for its great number of exchanges of labour, goods, services and money, which require an extensive system of law and contract to legalise them. Next, specialisation but fragmentation of knowledge. Capitalism replaces the greater self-sufficiency typical of pre-modern systems of agrarian landholdings with interconnected market dependency of the modern economy. You might say that the whole history of humanity is a movement away from self-sufficiency, for example of the hunter-gatherer, to the more specialised farmer and then to the even more specialised worker. Increased division of labour is a central motor of capitalism's productivity. Workers and firms, the basic units of the economy, are ever more specialised. Profit is made from the productivity gains of increasing specialisation. Immense knowledge is contained in the system as a whole, but individual workers and firms are specialised in only a tiny fragment of it. Individuals rarely have knowledge of how the product is made as a whole. For Marx, mankind is alienated from the products it creates because the results of its labour is taken from the worker by the capitalist and sold. Capitalism, with its intense division of labour, produces a more specialised but narrower consciousness, dependent on, but largely ignorant of, the nature of the products and services as a whole that it creates. The human serves the machine. And next, money relationships are dominant. The nexus of human relationship increasingly becomes based on money. A money economy operating through the price system is the platform for wealth creation and also for freedom. The oppressive rights of slavery, the feudal requirements of peasant and serfs, the demands to stay within the same locality and hundreds of other restrictions are lifted by the money economy, which requires far greater mobility of all factors of production, including human beings. Individuals have economic meaning insofar as they understand and follow the signals of the market. On the one hand, this gives a great deal of freedom, while on the other, it reduces an individual's identity to an economic value. Next, greater education. Capitalism requires increased education for its populations, distinguishing it from all previous systems, which only required education for certain strata of society, for example priests and bureaucracy. Other systems had little interest in educating the masses, quite often the contrary. However, capitalist countries are in competition with one another, and the quality of human capital, the education and skill of the workforce, is a vital factor contributing to productivity and therefore the wealth of a nation. Consequently, the average citizen of a capitalist country is far more cognitively educated than any other previous economic system. Indeed, this process continues during the various stages of capitalism with more education in its late compared to early periods.
human consciousness increasingly moves to the rational, the specialised and the analytical in this movement of capitalism towards increased education. And it becomes less grounded in nature and the body. The psyche becomes more mentalised and cognitive. The left hemisphere of the brain, given to logic, division and analysis, becomes dominant, while the right hemisphere, that produces the gestalt, wholeness and meaning, is forgotten. The human becomes more fragmented, disassociated, rationalised, depersonalised and less embodied. Next, wealth creation and enjoyment. Contrary to Marx's prediction of the growing proletariat and their impoverishment, there has generally been a rising tide of wealth, upon which many have risen. Growing wealth creates new consciousness, a sense of mastery, entitlement, happiness, as well as a belief that what one is doing is justified. Consciousness and its value framework thus become captured by the success of the system, and the values and morals of capitalism become dominant. However, this is periodically shattered by crises, which come from the clear sky of prosperity and devastate the economy, like the collapse of 1929 followed by the Great Depression, or the financial paralysis of 2008. Thus, periods of wealth, boom and inflationary confidence are punctuated by slump and depression. Excessive risk-taking, debt, acquisitiveness and consumerism create an unstable and exaggerated psychology. However, this is not to deny that the increasing wealth provided by the system has considerably relieved poverty, misery, destitution, early death and poor health that has typified humanity for much of its previous existence. And next, consumerism. A great deal of the immense technological and productive forces of capitalism translate into consumption. In 2017, over 80% of the United States GDP consisted of personal consumption. In the UK, it was 62% in 2019. This was not always the case, since in early stages of the system, the capitalist system, there was more emphasis on thrift, saving and investment. As the system moves to maturity, or one might say decadence, there is more emphasis on consumption and pleasure. China, still fresh on the capitalist scene, has personal consumption levels only of 38% in 2019. We can expect this figure to rise in the future. Modern capitalist man and woman are then immense consumers and this has profoundly influenced their consciousness, their apparent sense of mastery, entitlement, arrogance and destructiveness. Next, property ownership. Individual property rights and ownership lie at the core of any notion that capitalism is a participatory system. To take just one example, home ownership is the single biggest investment that most individuals make. In the UK, by 1975, half of its households were owner-occupiers. By 2003, it was 70%. Between 2003 and 2014, UK property ownership did decline due to exceptionally high prices of UK housing. An example, incidentally, of how the inflation of credit booms can impoverish whole sections of any population 
who can no longer afford housing of their own. However, it can be safely said that a comparative feature of later capitalism is that higher percentages of the population are generally property owners and therefore more participatory compared to any other system. Property ownership changes consciousness, creating responsibility, a disposition to long-term care, an investment in stability and community, an awareness of prices and value, and a conservative frame of mind. Investing in property entails also investing emotionally in neighbourhood, country and system. Next, technological reliance. Technology has a deeply shaping effect on those who use it. Capitalism is the most intensive technological economic system that has existed. There is incessant technological competition driven by the search for profits, which, when reinvested, encourage more technological growth. While the period of industrial capitalism facilitated a more technological mindset in the working classes, under late capitalism this largely disappears as computerization, artificial intelligence and intense specialisation leave the mass of the population ignorant about the real working of even elementary technology. At the same time there is greater technological reliance in the general population Technology in the economic and military system, though created by the knowledge of the human race, very soon stand over and dominate it. An external projection of consciousness, a reification, that in turn shapes consciousness and social relationships. Next, greater freedom. Karl Marx insisted that workers in the capitalist system were not free, but obliged to work under exploitative conditions because they did not own the means of production, which were in the hands of the capitalist class. Nevertheless, the freedoms enjoyed by the mass of the population within capitalist systems, especially those with strong democracies, are infinitely greater than any previous or alternative system, apart from hunter-gatherers. These are not just economic freedoms, but include those of education, leisure, culture, occupation, lifestyle, choice, travel, religion, political systems, voting habits, and many more. This is especially the case for later capitalist stages in advanced economies. These freedoms, or autonomies, have become central to the postmodern discourse in which all aspects of tradition, be they pre-modern or modern, have been disposed of in post-modernity or late capitalism, our own age. Objective truth no longer exists, and what is valid is self-created, or created within a culture. These are self-referential systems of meaning. Morals, beliefs, attitudes are no longer determined by an outside authority such as church, class, tradition or science, for example, but, as Anthony Giddens argues, are constructed in the evolving pluralistic and self-referential space of culture, law, media, political correctness and individual desire. This new open space in the postmodern world then does not have tradition to fill it. The inner world of the individual, such as moral belief, either no longer exists or is minimal or politically determined and is not capable of contending with a crisis. The inner world is no longer determined with reference to religion or the guidelines of the past. As Durkheim noted, 
these traditional forms of meaning have been replaced in capitalism by an economic interconnectedness. It is the division of labour that is the glue that binds millions together. One's economic place in society gives one meaning. As long as there is economic growth and prosperity, then it is easy to forget the inner world, the individual's need for meaning, and for a place in the great scheme of things. Outer wealth is paralleled by inner poverty. However, when the economic crisis comes, when millions are thrown into unemployment, financial systems collapse, governments prove corrupt and inept, the authority of the church collapses, and when tradition offers no guidance, then these individuals are exposed, not just to economic deprivation, but to meaninglessness. Thus, freedom turns to emptiness as economic promise fades. And next, there have been remarkable changes in the nature of the repressive apparatus within the collective psyche. After all, civilizations require repression, said Freud. Firstly, under capitalism, there has been the removal of religious forms of repression. For example, the Christian view of sin. As capitalism and its scientific knowledge system has undermined and replaced religion. Secondly, Capitalism replaced religious repression with another type of repression, which dominated all else and subjected mankind to a new and harsh god, the forces of the market and the imperative to work. In the case of communism, there was an even harsher replacement of previously existing religious ideologies with the dominance of their god, the state, which enacted brutal forms of repression which became inbuilt into the consciousness of their populations. Thirdly, in late capitalism in the West, the forces of previously repressive moral systems, especially those concerning sexuality, have been removed. And the god of individual and minority rights, the freedom and protection of women, the rights of the disabled, and the reassessment of racial matters, to name a few, become the new political correctness, that is to say, the basis for a new form of consciousness. And next, informational capitalism is the term that I prefer for the latest stage of the capitalist system, since it implies not only the immense technological changes of the information revolution, but also changes in mentality and of consciousness itself. The age of information technology is the latest and possibly the most profound shift in the consciousness of humanity, which is becoming fused with digital and virtual systems. Many of the points mentioned above, removal from nature, technological rationalism and so on, become more intensified. The nuclear family becomes almost defunct. Marriage and reproduction no longer meaningful or even required. And even labour itself, that which previously gave meaning and purpose, is becoming less required, as a post-human condition becomes now possible, with the increasing advance and eventual dominance of technologies in the form of super-artificial intelligence. Something radically new is occurring in consciousness. The hyper-real becomes the new reality. Hyperreality is a term 
in postmodern philosophy, indicating the difficulty of distinguishing reality from a simulation, particularly in technologically dominated societies. The real and the fictional become impossible to separate. Digital and psychical reality commingle. Human and artificial intelligence fuse. Many myths of early humanity picture us immersed in the world of nature, a participation mystique. We now glimpse postmodern capitalism, where the emerging consciousness of a new age may be described as a participation virtuelle, an immersion, a fusion of our consciousness with digital technologies and, shortly, artificial intelligence.